0: Given a choice, would you rather be second class or first class? Now before you answer, please let me at least lay out the differences for you so that you know exactly how to answer this. As Americans, we more or less expect to be thought of as first class folks. Now, I don't mean when we're on a plane necessarily because that is a choice that can get kind of expensive. But I mean in general. We expect to be treated fairly, meaning no exceptions based on any visible or invisible traits. We expect our voices to be heard. We expect our decisions to be respected. We expect the same treatment as any and everybody else who also calls themselves Well, an American. Simply put, we expect to matter. Even outside of a mass tragedy, we expect, at the very least, to stay in your thoughts and prayers. Second class, however, is seldom given a second thought. This means that when plans are made, even when it involves our lives, instead of being given a choice or a voice, We're just left to adjust. And everything we know, everything we've ever known, the people, like friends and neighbors, the streets, the buildings, even the roofs over our own heads, can be taken away just like that if it means that somebody who's been deemed as first class might better benefit from what's rightfully ours. They tell you to vote, but then don't count your vote. They tell you to serve your country, but then don't serve you in return. They tell you you have freedom of religion, but only if it's their religion. You're supposed to have freedom of speech, but only if you're speaking English. You can't love who you want, so you can't marry who you want. You can't believe you'll be served and protected. And you can't be in your car, in your school, or in your own home without risk of being shot. You can't be who the fuck you are because you are second class. Now, it seems downright silly that I even asked about your preferred choice of class because second class means you're nobody and first class, well, you're somebody. And who in their right mind doesn't want to be somebody? LaKeisha Mitchell was born and raised in Barrie Farm 28 years ago, a place where the people expect nothing more than to be treated like the second-class people they've been told and shown that they are. Because like everyone around her, she has never been afforded the opportunity to be sure that she is somebody Now, Barry Farm, this little neighborhood in southeast D.C., is less than 400 acres, so not a significant portion of the roughly 69-square-mile city, but big enough. This land was bought by the government back in 1867, right after emancipation, for the sole purpose of being a settlement place for African Americans after the Civil War. Now, this does sound like a nice gesture, right? But this is a relationship between the U.S. government and, well, people that aren't white, so happily ever after is far from where this story is going. Like most things done purportedly for this demographic, this gesture, too, was half-assed. Sure, the land was brokered, of course isolated from the rest of the city, and that was about it. With their own hands, the people cleared away the thick forest that made up the space, and they themselves built the churches, schools, their own homes, even the roads, which incidentally they named after famous abolitionists. This village for freed men became known as Barry Farm, and its fingerprint has a far more substantial impression on the history of our nation's capital and the establishment of the black community in this city, then I can dare try summarizing right now. But I'll tell you that this once incredibly important community to the settlement of newly freed people began to transition after World War II when the government, by way of eminent domain, took back some parts in order to construct public housing, low-rent places for the poor. And that... A ghetto meant only for the second class is the reputation Barry Farm has upheld since then. Because even in the 60s, the people who lived here were challenging those on the Hill. That's where government people report every day to allegedly work. They were challenging these people during town halls and congressional sessions to treat them and all people like, well, human beings not just the ones in the city who they considered to be first-class. And, sadly, they're still having to have this conversation, this often one-sided conversation, even today. Now, Barry Farm is the birthplace of the incomparable Junkyard Band, some of the pioneers, after Chuck Brown, of course, of DC's Go-Go Music and Culture, Their first big hits, Sardines and The Word, released on Def Jam, were songs that popularized the genre and helped take it global during the 80s and the 90s. Today, those public housing dwellings, the 26-acre, 432 units, are being demolished in favor of so-called mixed-income developments taking an entire community of people down with every brick. Washington Monument, in fact all of the memorials here, are all considered landmarks because of their history to certain people. So the people of Barry Farm, descendants and beneficiaries of the freedmen that settled here, are fighting for that same treatment. Landmark status. No, maybe it doesn't look like the places where the first-class people come to take selfies or sign up to do yoga. Yet, but it is somebody's history it is what makes some aspects of dc still familiar to some people despite the makeover it's been undergoing now speaking of that makeover if you've been to dc in the last few years you were pretty much walking in on her while she was changing and if you were born and raised here i'm speaking mostly to those east of the river like the people of barry farm this wardrobe makeup hair and new fit physique she's flaunting lets you know that she's trying to attract someone other than you. Because see, being first class is less about how you see the world and more about how you want the world to see you. Perception equals identity In fact, the goal to alter the identity, the way you perceive our city, was a literal agenda put in place in 2010. It was called the Creative Action Agenda. And I'll spare you the long explanation about what this is, but basically, after we decided that we didn't want to be viewed as a chocolate city anymore, and we knew that being looked at as a government town would have the types of mates we wanted to attract swiping left on our dating profile. They'd think we were square and boring. This creative action agenda was a new outfit, so to speak. We decided to wear in order to broaden our identity from government town to a magnet for technology, entrepreneurs, and others who were part of the creative economy young, college-educated, creative, more affluent residents. That's who we're seducing now. And we're doing any and everything to get them. Ripping up roads, renaming neighborhoods, even tearing down potential landmarks like Berry Farm. All so we can accommodate the people who we believe to be the real somebodies in this world. Ones who make us look good once they're on our arm. But I could argue that if actually allowed a fair chance, LaKeisha Mitchell of Berry Farm would already have been the exact caliber of resident the city likes to put on its posters, banners, and billboards. But when you've been moved from place to place, taken in and out of schools, overworked and paid like you're replaceable and have no real skill set, it can take even the hardest working person some time to be able to stand unsupported, on their own two feet. Lakeisha is a makeup artist, and not just that glamour makeup, either. She does that cool special effects stuff, you know, like the kind you see on Game of Thrones or Walking Dead. No, she didn't go to college or some special school for this. She's self-taught, and she's damn good. This is what she wants to do for a living. She even has her own company name. It's called Grace Artistry. She always makes sure she has the name Grace somewhere in her view, as saying it or hearing it said is like an affirmation to her, a message to tell her to keep going. Grace was her grandmother's name, the only person who ever told Lakeisha that she could be somebody. So as Barry Farm continues their fight for what I'm sure feels like their citizenship, we just keep putting on our makeup and sexy outfits and pushing them out so we can try to keep attracting these tech guys, entrepreneurs, and affluent creative types so that we can identify with being first class. You know, on that thought, it's a good thing this isn't an airplane because the reality would be No matter if you're sitting up front in first class or sitting back in second, I mean coach, it's all the same plane and we're all in this together. So none of this stuff that makes you feel like you're somebody and Barry Farm feel like they're nobody even matters if the plane is going down, America. I'm Kayana Ebony Brown, and this is a story of music and men. The line to get in 930 Club that night was wrapped around the block, With Lucas following me, I managed to squeeze by and into the front door to get to the ticket booth, immediately noticing a banner up on the wall with the words, Tonight, Gavin DeGraw with Hannah Ellis opening. Choosing to ignore it, I gave my attention to a girl wearing all black with black hair, black nails, and black lipstick. I quickly noted the name, Grace on a hi-my-name-is sticker plastered across her chest. Before I could say hi and introduce myself, she said very routinely, Um, we not letting people in yet. I didn't know exactly where I should begin, so I just began. Uh, hi, Grace. Um, I'm not here to... I need to talk to the organizer. Look, all hookups are written here on this list. She pointed at a clipboard without even looking at it. Now, if I look down at this list, will your name be on it? Well, no, no not exactly. No, see. Uh, look, miss, I'm going to have to ask you to step to the back of the line. Lucas gave a loud exhale behind me and whispered, This, this was your plan? Before turning and sliding back out the door, we just came in pissed. Before I could respond or catch him to maybe explain, I saw Bonnie, the GM I failed to impress, approaching, perhaps to say something to Grace, but she spotted me just as she stopped. and She gave me one of those half smiles as she asked, you here for the show or to convince us that after 30 plus years, we now need you in order to pull one off. I deserve that. In this business, I've learned that your reputation is often all you have, and in an effort to come across as some brilliant, savvy mastermind, to be taken seriously, to be respected, and to really be seen as somebody, I had in fact made one of the most powerful people in my industry and in my city believe that I was just another arrogant, incompetent, entitled punk. I wanted to apologize. I wanted to explain. I wanted to cry, but I certainly couldn't do that. In a last ditch effort to get somewhere, I just said, listen, look, my guy is really, really good. I mean, and mid-sentence, disregarding everything I was saying, she leaned over and whispered to Grace. We're gonna start letting people in in about 10 minutes. At least here take a CD. And I was pointing one of Lucas's discs at her, hoping that she'd take it. If not to reconsider my botched proposal, to at the very least not hold it against Lucas in the future. She sighed while looking at the disc in my hand and then at me. Keep your CD. But I don't need a CD, she added before I could insist. I have the internet. I listened. She nodded as I hung on to every word coming out of her mouth. She turned as if she was done, but doubled back and threw in, Janet Fuller, that's who you need. She books the big shows around here. She'll give you a listen. And I wanted to smile, but I kept that tucked away for later. I'd already planned to smile once I got outside. Before I could thank her, she was already gone. Lucas was sitting outside on the curb a few feet away from the line, watching people as they walked up and then realized how far back they actually needed to go to get in line. That, that wasn't the plan, I told him. And he looked up at me, confused. That was a last-ditch effort to get you on that stage, but you're out here with me, so... Uh, yeah, no, didn't work, but, uh, get, get your guitar out. He didn't understand. Look, man, you may not be sharing that stage with Gavin DeGraw tonight, but you will play for his audience. This? This is your stage. Your album? These are the people who will buy it. I looked around at all the people walking around, biding time before the doors opened for them to be let in to hear one of their favorite artists perform. Not much different from the people standing outside that embassy watching Wooly Ortega. No, maybe he wasn't the reason why they had come. But maybe he was the reason why they didn't mind so much standing outside in that moment. I felt like this was the perfect opportunity to emulate that. And to prove my point, I got more specific with Lucas. Like her, she definitely buy it. I said about a college-aged girl. And her? And those girls? As a group tried to find the end of the line? And him, him right there, he'll definitely buy it. And that guy? And that guy right there? And- All right, all right, I get it, Lucas said, finally getting up from the ground. I'd heard Lucas, but at this point, honestly I didn't even care. Because standing at the door talking, all chummy and buddy-like with Bonnie, of all people, was him. Yes, that him from the computer store, Dream Guy. The chocolatey one with the eyes and that beard, my god. (sighs) He and two other guys were chatting it up with Bonnie like they were old friends. And I just stood there, not able or willing to look away. But looking was all I could do. I couldn't remember a single word of that imaginary conversation I'd had with him in the store that day, the simulated encounter where I was all confident and transparent and whatnot. Here I was, given a second chance, and still, again, I had no idea what to do with it. I just stood there, watching, as he actually checked out of the conversation with the group and began scanning the area like he might have been new or unfamiliar with the neighborhood and was taking it all in. Maybe it was fate, or just plain happenstance, but Lucas began singing a cover of Alicia Keys' You Don't Know My Name right on cue. No better lyrics to suit my current situation. I watched. As Dream Guy nonchalantly scanned the crowd, giving every single person a second or two until his eyes eventually landed right on me. And that moment felt like forever. And for that moment, those two, maybe even four seconds, I couldn't look away until I did. I look down of all places to look, I I admit to the chink in my armor. Because here's the thing, I'm a 27-year-old kid from D.C. with no siblings who dropped out of college after just two semesters, so not exactly the subject of bragging for my parents. I don't have a degree. I don't have any money. I don't have a lot of connections. I don't have a team of people working with me in order to make my company or me successful. And depending on who you ask, I'm dealing with the wrong artists if I expect to see some success in this music business. Not to even mention, I'm probably in the wrong town for this kind of thing anyway. So, I don't have a whole lot going for me. But what I do have is exactly what it takes to be great. The willingness to be wrong or embarrassed or misunderstood or disliked the willingness to flat out fail, and then turn over and get back up for more. I am going to make a lot of mistakes. I'm gonna be bad at my job sometimes. I may not always be the ideal friend, the perfect daughter, or even the best partner. I'm going to hurt people sometimes, perhaps with negligence, never with malice. I'm going to give good advice and bad advice and I'm going to suck sometimes at taking advice. But when it's all said and done, I'm going to have a hand in helping some of the most talented musicians reach the world with their music and become one of the most influential figures in the entertainment industry of my generation. But like I said, today, I'm just a girl from DC selling CDs and MP3s like Little Miss Nobody. But someday, I'm going to be great. And this, this is the story of how I'll do it. So when I looked back up, all I saw was Dream Guy's back as he disappeared into the club leaving the ironic smell of chocolate in the air. And that night, I missed the opportunity to perhaps meet someone that I desperately wanted to get to know because of fear. False expectations appearing real. I promise you, though, fear will not continue to paralyze me, my love or my professional life, forever. But... I couldn't dwell on what ifs right now, especially when Lucas was drawing actually quite the crowd at the moment. Some were even putting money into his guitar case without me even asking. So I took the opportunity to begin trading CDs for cash. Because that's the thing. With life, I just roll with the punches. With music, eh, with music, I have a plan. I always have a plan, but with men, I have no idea what I'm doing. The episode of Of Music and Men was written and produced by me, Kayana, with express permission and the help of some of the most incredible indie artists in the world. We started off the episode with Leon and Stomp Clap Clap. And then we had The Word by the incomparable Junkyard Band. And if you've never heard Go-Go from DC before, that's some from about, that was 1986, so that I believe we can call it a classic. And then we had Nina by Mona Wanderlick. And then we opened up the story with Look Out, She's America by Otis McDonald. And this is Quarter Past Six by Le Gang. Our word of inspiration features music by Lionel Cassio. I saw a ghost last night. Now, for more information on these artists and how you can support their efforts, visit the show notes on your podcast app or go to ofmusicandmen.com and select this episode. Now, of course, if you would like to have your music featured on the show, check out our website for more information on how you can submit. Now, Of Music and Men, of course, is so much more than just a podcast. The novella series is available in online bookstores. And if you would like to have a physical copy, some folks like to read stuff and hold it in their hand and all that good stuff, um, you can get it on our website ofmusicandmen.com where you can also get merch. I mean, we have t-shirts and cool stuff like that. Don't forget, of course, to subscribe at Apple, Stitcher, or whatever it is you prefer to listen to your podcasts. And remember, of course, to rate and review that really really helps boost the show and get it into some more ears as people are searching for something new to listen to something different of course i'd love to hear what you think too so go ahead and give us a review lastly connect with us this is very important connect with us on patreon where you can become a part of this journey a part of this project and the beautiful journey that it's on and help it grow to everything that it was meant to to be now of course it's two levels it's the two and the five won't go into all of that it's on the website so go to musicandmen.com hit that patreon button and become a patron for some cool perks and all that good stuff for our patrons now make sure to share this that's also very important make sure to share this with at least one friend some way somehow and follow of music and men online everywhere at of music and men and of course when you do Please, don't hesitate to reach out. Artists and entrepreneurs are a very unique type. I mean, we face lots of rejection, almost too often for comfort. So whether you're a seasoned business owner or creator, aspiring to be one, or you just came here because you want to hear a good story, there's nothing wrong with that. I want to always leave you with something to ponder. Until next time. Today's word is from Judy Garland. Always be a first rate version of yourself instead of a second rate version of somebody else. Now, in this episode, we talked a lot about being somebody, but the goal is to be an original version of yourself, whoever that may be. Now, of course, we have athletes, actors, other celebrities, and people like that that we look up to and we want to model what they do, and it's nothing wrong with that, especially. When you're just starting out in something. But try your best always in whatever you do to look for your own voice. And don't be afraid to put your own voice out there. You know, there's another saying that success leaves clues. So if these people are successful, it only makes sense that you might want to emulate what they do in order to at least have some guideline of of where you're going and what you want to do. But it's very, very important to always look at what it is about yourself that is original and try to push that to the forefront. Regardless of what anyone says, try your best to always be original, an original you, because you'll never be an original version of someone else.